0: When Eward Grogan pushed off into the White Nile five days before Christmas, 1899, the sun over southern Sudan fell on his back like a hot sheet of metal, and his diseased liver hurt so badly he couldn't stand up straight. His open boat groaned with supplies and sweating bodies. A dozen native soldiers, a small boy, a tall man from the Dinka tribe, an elderly Egyptian prisoner with a broken leg, and a mad criminal in chains. At full height, Grogan was six feet tall and strikingly handsome. He had a strong jaw, a narrow nose, and startling yellow-green eyes, which seemed to spark with intelligence and humor. It was because of that piercing gaze and his almost superhuman determination and endurance that Africans had nicknamed him Boana Chui, the leopard. On that day, however, he was nearly unrecognizable, haggard, hunched, half-starved, and baked brown by the sun. He had been traveling through Africa for almost two years. His route wound from the salty breezes of the Indian Ocean to the indigo lakes and smoking volcanoes of the Great Rift Valley, where the steep jungles teemed with pygmies and gigantic apes. Naked cannibals had pursued him for days near the lava beds of Mushari, and just a few weeks ago he had celebrated his 25th birthday by fleeing a bull hippo for half a mile. Abscesses on his liver burst in blooms of agony, and a recurring malarial fever threatened to bake his brain his only European companion had left for home nine months earlier. For most of the journey, his only company had been a handful of African soldiers and porters who tended to desert at every opportunity when they weren't busy plotting mutiny. And the worst was still ahead. Between him and his goal, a remote British outpost hundreds of miles downstream to the north, lay the most godforsaken swamp on earth. The Sud, was tens of thousands of square miles of clotted vegetation and miasmatic air, home to the fierce giants of the Dinka tribe and cloud banks of insatiable mosquitoes. Hippos lurked in the black water, ready to snap canoes in half, and six-foot marabou storks stalked across floating islands of green like reanimated corpses. If he made it to the outpost and then descended the Nile to Cairo, Grogan would join the ranks of legendary explorers like Sir Richard Burton, David Livingston, and Henry Stanley. If he didn't, well, no one would ever know what happened. The swamp would swallow him without a trace. As the prow sliced the blood-warm water, and high grasses hissed against the sides, Grogan was filled with uncertainty. He had no idea how far he still had to go or whether Dinka warriors would ignore his tiny party or slaughter them. He didn't know if his band of reluctant volunteers would remain by his side, shoot him in the back, or abandon him to shrivel and starve in the sun. He was sure of one thing, though. He had to make it. Because Gertrude was waiting. At age twenty-two, three years before he pushed off into the Nile, Ewart Grogan was already a war veteran and world traveler who understood women. He knew the barmaids of Melbourne were the most beautiful in the world. He'd seen how difficult it was to tell the men from the women in Sri Lanka, and he had once killed a man barehanded in a bar fight over a Portuguese beauty. Grogan had just returned to England after serving as a soldier in Rhodesia, where he had fought in a bloody native uprising, and fallen so sick he had almost been buried alive. His doctors advised a long rest to convalesce. An extended sea voyage would be perfect. So when his friend Eddie Watt from Cambridge invited him to stay with his family in Napier on New Zealand's North Island, Grogan accepted. There, on the Watt family estate, Grogan met Gertrude, the oldest of Eddie's three sisters. A year younger than Grogan, she was almost as tall as he was, with luminous skin and kind blue eyes. She was shy, but her calm elegance erupted frequently into a booming infectious laugh. More than anything,